that song, if uh, it's taken to the heart, um, it's like a fountain of life. Jesus paid not some of it, but he paid it all. And that's why we're here this morning. And I know Archie just prayed for me, but I feel the need to pray again as uh, we open the word together and, um, and pray to hear a word from the Lord. Father, you are the fountain of life. And we just ask that you would give us to drink. Um, we come weak and needy, and many of us depleted of energy or exhausted, discouraged. Others come with joy and great anticipation, and we just ask that you would feed us all and give us to drink of your, of your river of delights and um, that we would experience your spirit and know your truth and that we would believe the truth that Jesus did pay not just some, but he paid it all and that all the stains are gone for your people. So, Lord, we just ask you to dominate and reign this morning in the teaching of your word and also in the taking of the bread and the cup, powerful reminders of the fact that Jesus paid it all. And so I just ask, please, just work in our lives, our hearts, our minds, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in, in light of the fact that we have our kids with us, and um, for sake of brevity, I wanted to focus on one word in the book of Ephesians uh, this morning in preparation for the, for the Lord's table, and that is the word uh, gospel. Gospel. Now, it's found in chapter 3, verse 6 of Ephesians, and one of the interesting things about the word gospel is that Paul tells us that it is the gospel, the instrumental means by which we become part of God's family. Uh, or we participate and we experience um, the blessings of salvation through this thing called gospel. So he writes in chapter 3, verse 6 here, that this mystery, the mystery of what God is doing, the plan, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You read that back through, we are Gentiles, non-Jewish believers. We are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. So the gospel, this word that we're all familiar with and we've heard over and over again, uh, is the instrumental means by which we become part of God's family. Now, most of you who have been in church uh, any number of years will, will know that the word gospel simply means uh, good report or good news. But I'm also aware that for many, when you hear the word gospel, a lot of different pictures come to mind because we have a lot of associations. So for some, when you hear the word gospel, you might immediately think of music like black gospel or Gaithers, or some good old foot-stomping, knee-slapping gospel music. That might be what comes to mind for you. For other people, when you hear the word gospel, you might think of a, a TV evangelist with you know, a toupee cap teeth and talking about the gospel to all of his, uh, his audience. And in that connotation, it might be a negative word for you. I know for me, for the longest time, uh, what came to mind when I thought of the gospel was a... Uh, um, was a green Bible, 70s green Bible, with the words um, good news and a picture of somebody that looked like Keith Partridge on the front. That's what I thought of when I thought of the gospel. Um, so a lot of us have these associations that we bring, uh, mental images and pictures, um, when we hear the word gospel. And I think, in my opinion, it kind of clutters the significance of what that single word means. 
And so I just want to kind of unclutter a little bit and kind of get back to what I, I believe is the original potency of that particular word. That in the ancient times in which the Bible was written, um, written over a period of about 1,500 years, um, when people heard the word gospel or good news, they didn't think of preachers or pulpits. Uh, they didn't think of music, that's for sure. Rather, primarily what they thought of is they thought of news that came from the battlefield. Uh, so, for example, 2 Samuel chapter 18. Um, David stays behind the lines while his, his army under the uh, command of Joab goes out to fight his enemies. So the army goes out to face another big army. And um, once the defeat had come, that is David's armies had defeated or routed his rebellious son Absalom, uh, two messengers are said to, sent to David with news. The messengers run back to David and they give the gospel or the euangelion or the good report. That is, your armies have won. And the truth is, is throughout ancient history, that was the word that would be used oftentimes to bring good news of victory from the battlefield. Both ancient uh, Roman historians and ancient Greek historians would use the word gospel to talk about the victory on the battlefield. Both Jews, Romans, and Greeks. So that, by and large, would have been the mental thinking when you hear the word good news. Now, so I want you to keep that in mind for a second in terms of uncluttering this word we call gospel. Good news of victory on the battlefield. Another, I think, significant thing that kind of unclutters our associations with gospel is to recognize that it is good news. It's news. Um, we're familiar with, with the idea of news through various forms of media. CNN brings us news. Uh, New York Times brings us news. KCRA, Channel 3, brings us news. Um, where the news comes first, if I remember. But what's interesting about news, and this has been uh, observed by a number of, of Christian authors, is that news simply reports what's happened. News isn't given for the primary purpose of exhorting, giving advice, counsel, or directives. It simply is reporting what happened. This is what happened on the battlefield. We have victory. Now, one author has written that this is what makes the idea that Christianity is based upon news, the report of something happening, is what distinguishes it from all other forms of religion, all other paths, so to speak. Because all other religious paths come primarily with good advice, if you can call it good advice. Good advice or good counsel or directives, moral directives. This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. This is what you should practice. This is what you shouldn't practice. And unfortunately, many Christians have boiled down the essential message of Christianity to be a directive or a moral advice or counsel. Rather, news is simply reporting what has taken place. Christianity, the essence of the message, is reporting something that has happened. Not something that we're supposed to do as much as something that God has already done. It's news. And that makes it distinctive that, that it comes as news, declarative. It, it simply states that something has happened. God has worked in history. Or let me put it back in, in my language that I'm trying to use here, is that, that the good news, the gospel, is news from the battlefield that God has already won the victory. It's news. And that's the, the premise of Christianity. And what makes it distinctive is that it is a declaration of what God has already done for us. It is not primarily 
in the first order of business, a directive of how to live life. Now that, I think, is, is, is liberating. Is what makes it distinctive is news. This is what God has done. Not first and foremost, this is now how you must live, because that, of course, puts the entire burden of change and progress on the person. Rather, Christianity comes in the form of news. This is what God has done to bear that burden for you. Now, that's, that to me is a, a liberating idea, the good news. It's news. It's de- declaring what has already been done. But what's equally striking is the way in which the victory is won on the battlefield. In the ancient days, most emperors or kings, if they were to show up on the battlefield, if they were to show up on the battlefield, was, would stay uh, safely tucked behind the lines of their troops. And they would send out their privates and their corporals and their sergeants and their second lieutenants. And they would be the ones to bleed and die on the battlefield for the sake of their king. The good news of the Christian message is precisely the opposite. Is the... The one who enters the battlefield first and leaves the battlefield last, in fact, he's the only one on the battlefield, is our Savior King. It's the King who enters the battlefield, and it's the King who bleeds and dies on behalf of his people. That is a, that is a pretty radical idea in terms of how things work. Um, a King going to battle for his people all by himself. But that's essentially what the Christian message is is our Savior King went to the battlefield, died, gained victory, and now we hear the news. He has gained victory on the battlefield. Now you might say, Jesus, really? Like, that's, he fought on a battlefield? Absolutely. That what he came to do and what he did do is he came to bring victory in a way that none of us could do. Um, He came down to bring, came to bring our, our, our mortal enemy down. Um, That's what he's come to do, to fight in a way that we couldn't fight. Now, as a bit of an aside, it is a tragedy um, to not know what your real problem is. Uh, If you were to poll most people, what's the biggest issue facing today? What what is the big enemy that we're facing? People would probably say different things. Well, it's... um, it's bad economics. It's a paralysis in politics. It's, it's uh, Islamic extremism or it's environmental global warming. These are our biggest enemies. And um, to, indeed, many of those are problems, but those are symptomatic. You know? and, and, and to not get the heart of the problem is, is like finding a lesion on your skin and just thinking, wow, that looks like a bruise, not realizing that it's, it brings you into you know, the last stage of cancer. Is it... Jesus came to deal with the heart of the issue. You have to know what the heart of the issue is. What is it that he came to do battle for? What is, who's, who's our enemy? And I believe he brings down the heart of the enemy in three different ways. Um, one of our enemies, of course, is sin, or to be more particular, the condemnation brought by our sin. And so he storms the battlefield to basically take upon himself the consequences of our sin, our eternal condemnation. So on the battlefield of, of, of redemption, of history, um, Jesus fa- faces the full and f- final assault of God's just anger towards all of our sin. That the, the violent fury of God's justice passes over his people and is completely absorbed by him. So he takes our condemnation, he takes our death 
um, the, 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 the debt that we all owed, that we just sang about, was placed on him and he died. Um, that's what he did in his death, is he absorbed that. So there's no longer fear of God's anger, any longer for God's people. That, my friends, may not feel as uh, emotionally on the surface as, as a broken relationship or, or uh, the finding out that you have a disease. But I guarantee you, um, what has kept us from God, namely the consequences, eternal condemnation of sin, is far worse than anything you can imagine. And he went to bear that. And in bearing it, he has freed us from condemnation so that we walk free. Enemy number one. Enemy number two. Death itself. Um, he died to bring sin to an end, but he rose to defeat death. So in a manner of speaking, I mean, death could not hold him because he was flawless. And so on the third, third day, he rose and he killed death. Now, there's a paradox. Jesus rises and kills death. That is exactly what he did. So that our life is based on his life and our resurrection is based on his resurrection and our future life is built upon his life. So that there's no longer, or there should no longer be any fear of death on the part of God's people. That's why we're supposed to like, live in the reality of uh, death is swallowed up in victory. Swallowed up. Um, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no longer this haunting grip of death in, uh, around our necks. So he delivers us from the consequences or the condemnation of sin. He delivers us from the grip of death. And then by doing that, he delivers us from the last enemy, and that is um, the realm of the demonic or, or the unseen realities of, of darkness that are around, that are in the world, um, subverting the world, bringing conflict, deceiving the world. That there are two major weapons of these demonic powers or dominions, as Paul calls them, principalities, is the fact that we have guilt and we're therefore condemned, and as a result of that, death. Those were the two primary weapons, and Jesus shattered both of those. So the idea is there is no longer any true dominion that the, the powers of darkness, of evil, have over God's people. We've been delivered decisively from the grip of the demonic. Now that is what Jesus has done on the battlefield of history is he came to deliver us from the consequences of sin, came to deliver us from the power of death, and he came to deliver us from the grip of the evil one. That is the news. That is what he has come to do. But it is, at the end of the day, news. This is what God has done. This is what God has done. And the only thing you can do with news is believe it. That's what you can do. It comes to us, this is what God has done. Do you trust and believe that this is in fact what he has done through his champion, our Savior King, Jesus Christ? News. That's what it is. It's like, it reminds me of the, the news that we got back in May that Osama bin Laden, man, it's so hard to say his name, the first name, without thinking of our president. I don't know why in God's providence. Both of those names are so similar. Obama bin Laden, that's terrible. Osama bin Laden. And we heard the news that there were these team of Navy SEALs and they went in, they knew where he was in Pakistan, went in and killed him. 
And I remember seeing on the news, people were rejoicing and they were celebrating that this kind of kingpin of, of terrorism was brought down. That was news. People rejoiced. And people believed it. It's kind of interesting. This is, I think, ironic. In that, you know, it was just a small handful of people that actually went in there and shot him and would have been able to identify the body. Nobody else was there. But the news went out that these few men went in, verified that, in fact, this was Osama bin Laden, killed him, walked out, told the news, and everybody believed it. Celebrated. Rejoiced. I wonder how... You know, there were scores of people more than that back in the first century who saw Jesus die and then saw him alive. And then they testified to it. This is the news that we have. He was dead. Now he's alive. He's dead. Now he's alive. Sin is gone. Death has been defeated. That was the news. And yet people find such a hard time believing it. It's easy to believe the word of a Navy SEAL, but what about the words of apostles and eyewitnesses who said he was dead and now he's alive? Through the centuries, basically, it's been news that's changed the world. News. It's, it's, it's people going and saying, declaring, this is what God has done. Have you heard? And it came as that, news. And that's what sets free. It didn't come primarily as good advice or good counsel. It came as news. This is what God has done. And when the heart gets that news, when the Spirit of God opens up, that that's really what's happened, it sets in motion in life change. But it's based on and founded on this idea of gospel or news. That's what it is. Our whole life is built on this idea of news. Do we believe that the news is true? And if we believe it, do we rejoice in it? Because we're supposed to live in it and, and know that this is what God has done on our behalf. And only in understanding who we are in light of that news can we ever make any progress at all. It's good news. It's news. And it's news that we live and breathe and come back to over and over and over again. This is what God has done. This is what God has done. This is what our champion, our king savior has done on our behalf. He's brought down the enemy. And that, my friends, is, is the most important truth to hold on to in all of life. It's what God has done. We have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, when your old fallen self... Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. The old fallen self starts to whisper into your soul saying, you're too messed up for God to love. You're too messed up for God to redeem. Our response, as those who have come to believe it, oh no. I've heard the news. And the news is that Jesus has defeated my sin completely. Because he loves me. When, when the, the pain of our circumstance whispers into our ears, if God was good, he really wouldn't have you go through that. People hear that all the time. If God was good, he would not have you go through that, whatever that is. It's then that the Christian goes back to the news and says, Oh no, I've heard the news. That Jesus has borne my sorrow and my pain and has overcome, and he will overcome. 
Or when the evil one comes to you and he whispers into your ear, you're not really free. You're the same old garbage that you were before. Now, that whisper's heard all the time too. You're no different than you were before. You're just garbage. It's then that the Christian holds to the news and says, no, I've, I've heard the news. Jesus bought my freedom with his life. And he's conquered you as well. When death, when death starts to point its long, shadowy, cold, heartless finger at your life and you realize it's coming to an end, and he says to you, are you afraid of me? Are you afraid of me? It's then that the Christian says, I've heard the news. He's alive. And you're dead. And living in the reality of the news that Christ has beaten our enemies changes life. It, 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 it changes the way we view everything from personal circumstances to how we think of ourselves to how we see other people is trusting that the news is true. And that, that, that's what the table is a celebration of. It's just in different forms, just bread and cup. It's a celebration of news. It takes us back and reminds us we didn't earn the victory. We weren't even on the battlefield. He did it all. And it's interesting that he's done it all, he's paid it all, that we find life. And that's what we need to be reminded of this morning, reminded that he's already won the victory, and we live in light of that victory. So whatever lies that you find yourself tempted by, whether it's like, you know, you're too messed up to be lovable, or you're really not free, you're just the same garbage you used to be, or you know what, if God was really good, he wouldn't have you go through that, come back to the good news. That Jesus has won the victory on the battlefield, and he promises in the end, we too will stand resurrected with him, alive. That's the news to live in. And so as we partake this morning, I simply want you to bring who you are in your life and everything that you struggle with in light of that news from the battlefield. God has won, and he will win. And allow this news to transform or encourage or, or bring you to your knees in, in humble joy and recognize, you know, he's got it covered. He's got it covered. He's already won, won the battle. Or if you're here this morning, you don't believe. You know, that's the question. Do you believe this is your news, that it's real? Are you willing to believe that everything that's said here is, in fact, true to reality? Willing to believe ABC and CBS and CNN that the terrorist is dead on the basis of the words of a few men who saw it? And here we have eyewitness testimony that Jesus was dead and now he's alive and he's won the victory. Most important thing to contemplate, do I believe this news? Because that's what Christianity is first and foremost, is news of what God has done. And in light of that news and believing that news, then there's joy and there's love and there's peace and there's kindness and there's patience. So as you come this morning, um, you can come with your families, you can come individually. The only thing we ask is that um, only those come forward who believe the news. Because this is a reminder of the fact that it's real. He died, and now he's alive. And just allow yourself to reflect, to ruminate, to refresh yourself in the fact that Jesus has already won the battle.
and live in light of that news. As I pray, if those who are going to serve communion would come forward um, to service, that would be great. Father, I just pray for this time that we have, uh, reminders of, of the great sacrifice that you have offered on our behalf. And that when all is said and done, the great champion of our salvation and the one who makes everything possible and brings victory on the, on the battlefield has one name, and his name is Jesus. And um, we want to live in that truth and believe that truth, to know that this is news. It's not simply good advice that puts the burden on us, but you bore the burden entirely yourself. And we want to live in the freedom and the joy of knowing that simple but profound truth of good news. So be with us now as we come forward and partake of bread and cup and and just minister to us and remind us of the good news that